The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, you know, we have our guests that we've had on several times before. In fact, every year we have them on. They're our good friends and they're wonderful identity theft experts. And we are so thrilled that we're having Linda and Jay Foley to talk about child identity theft, which is really an epidemic and it's pretty horrible. So if you haven't known much about Linda and Jay before. I'm just going to tell you a little bit, but we have a lot more about them on our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. But Linda and Jay have been our colleagues and our friends for many years, and they were the original founders of the Identity Theft Resource Center and directed that center for 12 years. And Linda and Jay have written and then so many things about identity theft. They have presented programs all over the country. And now um, they've even started a new identity theft company. And this is a great company. It's called IDTheftInfoSource.org. Now, they have each done tremendous things. They've won numerous honors. They've won awards and commendations in Washington, D.C. They are just incredible, and they have great expertise. And I wanted to talk to them because recently they went to the Federal Trade Commission to attend a forum, and they participated and actually spoke about child identity theft themselves. And um, so they were at that Federal Trade Commission forum to share ideas about what should be done about identity theft. And a lot of people don't understand how child identity theft can occur. So I'm so thrilled to have Lyndon Jay with me. Thanks so much, you guys, for joining me. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you, Maury. Well, so let's start out, Linda. What is child identity theft? Child identity theft is when a person uses the social security number of a child, a minor, um, clearly without their permission, and uses it to get credit or other things. Primarily we see it in the area of credit, but it falls into other areas as well. Yeah, we see a lot of it with even medical identity theft, don't we? Yes, we do. Yeah, so anything that anyone can do with your ID, they can do with a child's ID. So- yes, and a lot of people don't realize that that is possible. And we see perpetrators that could be family members, Mm. Um, as well as, you know, people who have just gotten the information um, electronically, they get it from data mining, 
going to various websites where those social security numbers are listed. Um, you could even get yeah. family seems to be the prevalent manner. Yeah. And uh, last year, the Federal Trade Commission said that nine uh, percent of the identity theft complaints they got were about child identity theft. Right. And so also, if you think about even your children, they, your doctor's office, the dentist's office, the school districts, they all have that social security number and sensitive data. And so we have dirty, you know, insiders in these places that have opportunity and they might use that information. Correct. So, Jay, don't credit issuers know that they're dealing with a child's information? Unfortunately, no, they don't. Credit issuers rely on the information on the first application for credit as the basis of setting up what will eventually be the credit file. So if I've got a child's social security number and I'm using a birth date that makes me 21 plus, the credit issuers start the file from that point. I have a whole identity that I can run with. Unfortunately, the social security number belongs to a three-year-old, so nobody's going to find out about this until that child turns 18 and tries to go to school or tries to get a loan. And don't we have some kind of fault on the part of the credit bureaus that have access to the Social Security Administration and they have access to see when that Social Security number was issued? Isn't there any blame on the part of the credit bureaus for not letting these credit issuers know, hey, wait a minute, somebody's applied for this and, and they say that there are 21, but they're really only three. Is, isn't anything like that going on? No, actually, there has not been any type of uh, program like that. Um, the only way that credit issuers might be able to find out is because of the way Social Security numbers were issued. They were able to do some searches that way. But there never has been a program or any type of report released to the credit reporting agencies. Yeah, but they can. they know when... You know, I know they do these um, social security searches, and they know when there are several people using a social security number, but that that's a whole other story that drives me crazy. Let's get back to this. Linda, how about um, a, a fix? Can, can a parent do a security freeze on their child's credit report? Would that help? Um, you know, for the majority of children, the reality is there is no credit report because we go back to... 9%, 10%, we're not sure how many children are affected. Um, but if no one has applied for credit yet, there is no credit report that has started. So it's like trying to say, I want a transcript from Harvard, but I never attended Harvard. Right. So, so can't they, they can't can put they create... a freeze on it or do anything like that at this time. Can they create a credit profile and then put a freeze? No, that would not be recommended because... It is better for the credit issuer to be told there is no credit report for that Social Security number, which makes them look twice and say, how is it you're 35 years old to the person standing in front of them and you've never had credit before? So we want that doubt to be there. But then how are, if that's happening, the very first creditor that issues credit that means that they just didn't even bother to say, what, I mean, what happened? There was no, there was no credit Report. So isn't the first creditor who issues credit to a kid um, one that would be the most liable? They would be the most likely to see what might be going on if 
that person was present. But you can get credit in a number of different ways where you don't have to be physically present. Yeah. Oh, goodness, it's crazy. And remember, if we're talking about family members, they wouldn't want to put a freeze or, you know, stop a report from, you know, being altered in any way anyway, because they want to be able to have that 18 years right. to run with that um, Social Security number. Right. So, Jay, you know, we've talked a little bit about the credit area. Let's talk more about what other kind of identity theft problems that the kids get. Well, you touched on it earlier when you mentioned medical. We see it in medical identity theft. We see it quite a bit in employment. People are using the Social Security numbers of minors to work because they are avoiding detection for one reason or another or because they don't have a Social Security number of their own. Mm-hmm. The state of Utah has a tremendous problem with child identity theft in this, in this particular regards. They have documented hundreds of cases where illegal aliens are using the Social Security number of a child. They've also documented where the child was born in the United States to the aliens, and the family now uses that Social Security number that was issued to the child for the family ID. Mm. Yes, I I actually have a, a lady that is a client of mine in New York who found out that um, someone had bought houses and all sorts of stuff. This woman had come into the country many years ago when this when this woman who's now a mom herself was a kid. And that's exactly what happened. She just, she used it. She bought houses. She bought cars. She bought credit. Everything was fine until she didn't have any more money. And then all of a sudden the mess came when this poor woman is a, a wife and mother herself 20 years later. Yes. It's, uh, it, when we talk about child identity theft, the child could grow up before they find out that they're a, a victim. Isn't that true, Jay? That's very true. If you take a look at the FTC complaints, you'll notice that the largest complaint population is the age of 18 through 29 years old. Right. How many of those are actually just discovering the fact that they've been a victim during their childhood years, and they're just now getting around to finding it out and having to deal with it? Right. And, you know, usually I tell people, like, don't change your Social Security number unless you're a kid, like, 12 years old, and it's happened to you. But, you know, it's, it's hard when you're an adult to change your social security number because you've lived with that social security number for a long time and it's been reported to schools, it's been reported to doctors, it's been reported maybe to the military, whatever. So it's a, it's a real problem. Are they recommending changing the social security number of these kids? The Social Security Administration is considering several different possible programs for children none of which are really recommended at this point in time. There's been talk about children will be issued a taxpayer ID number so their parents can claim them until they hit 18. At that time, they'll go to Social Security, change the taxpayer ID number out, and get their Social Security number issued. I see. Uh-huh. It's, going to, it's one of those, somebody proposed a nightmare without thinking what everything would take, that would take place. There hmm. are other things that they are talking about. They're talking about Social Security actually tying together with the three credit reporting agencies and with a variety of other sources supplying that information. 
Right. And once again, that creates a problem because now you've got too much information overflow. And of course, that doesn't help the kids that are that have already been born. That would probably be phased in as more as new children are born. Right. Um, so we still have to protect those that are living right now or have even died in childhood whose identities are being used. Right. You know, I recently interviewed Kevin Mitnick, who has a new book out. I, you know who he is. He was the famous FBI hacker. And in, in past interviews, he told me that the way that he would avoid getting caught by the feds when he was hacked into the FBI site and all that um, was to steal the identity of children who had died and yeah. use them because that was a way that he could, you know, be an incognito work under their name and, and wouldn't have a problem. Yeah, and you know, it's so hard for the grieving parents. Oh, yeah. Because every time they hear something or get a call from a collection agency, that grieving period starts all over again. Yes. Um, And there's a lot of, you know, emotional things that go through, that these kids go through and having to deal with this or that their parents have to do. Um, and, And trying to just sort of wrap their brain around how could this all have happened? Yeah, yeah. You know, I wanted to get back to what Jay had had talked about. You know, Jay, when you were talking about the Social Security Administration, what they're considering, maybe giving a, a tax ID number until, you know, the kid is 18. When I was a kid, you didn't get your Social Security number when you were in the hospital. You didn't get one until you started to work. So when I was 16 and I started to work, that's when they issued the Social Security number to me. So, you know, it's not such a bad idea about having that TIN number, uh, you know, the taxpayer ID number just to get the tax deduction. I mean, is that one, I hadn't heard that before. It's not a bad idea. And the other idea about having the credit bureaus have access to when um, an SSN was, um, you know, initiated by uh, to somebody, you know, when it was given to someone. I think that's a good idea. The the social the credit bureaus and people if you're listening you may not know this but all the credit bureaus are selling social security searches meaning that there is a report on you with your social and it shows the names of other people that might be using your social but you don't have a right to see it cuz they don't call it a consumer report. So I have lots of people that I'm helping right now that they're young. One of them, you'd love this, he's 21 years old, and there's been other people, three other people using his social who are Hispanic, um, and, and he's not, who've been using his social since he's eight years old. Okay? And that's a good one that you might want to consider changing a social security number on because you can't stop that kind of damage. I'd rather do it when they're 18 or 19 years old and have to deal with this problem when they're 30. Yeah, but the problem is, is that the the social search that these credit bureaus are selling have all the names. So, so the truth is, is they are already selling that information about how many people are using the social of that one person. So they know that not everybody can have that same social. So it seems to me that since they're selling it and making money, they should take that profit and also make it real clear who it really belongs to. And when it was issued, so that's 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 my soapbox. But I'm going to get back to your soapbox. So, unfortunately, I like your idea, Mari. Unfortunately, reality steps in here. The three credit reporting agencies don't have the ability or the wherewithal to take input from twenty different sources 
compile it, look at it, and then come back and say, yes, this person living at this address and right here is the actual owner of that Social Security number. Well, what they can do, though, Jay, is they can they know when it was first um, you know, given out. They know the date that it was issued. And so like my particular client, it was issued like in 75 or something. And the others were like one's 40 years old, one's 50 years old. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. that's how they would know by the date that it was issued went by the age of the people. Unfortunately, there's a problem with that. Social security number that is just issued today to the minor born in the hospital. Yeah is no different from the one that's issued today to the 25-year-old immigrant. Oh, so they have to clarify the age when it was issued to that person. So again, that's it's you know, you can see how yeah, I mean there are fixes, but it would probably be costly and and overwhelming for them is what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. Actually, Mari, um, back in about 2002-2003, Jay and I came up with a program we called the 1710 uh, the Minor 1710 database. And, uh, J.D., you want to explain that? We've uh, been talking to legislators about it and the uh, Social Security Administration for years now. Everybody likes it, but we have yet to see it implemented. The idea was that the Social Security Administration would take the Social Security numbers, month and year of birth, and first and last names of everyone in this country between the ages of zero and 17 years, 10 months of age. This would be placed into a file that would be shared out with the CRAs, the DMVs, selected companies that are pre-screening for credit and such other things. And what would happen is this file would be updated every two to three weeks with the new births and with those that are falling off the list. If the credit reporting agency or the credit granting company gets a new application in, they go to the CRAs, they say, okay, here's my social security number for my client, here's this and this. If the CRAs can't find it in their files, they can go back to the 1710, look at it, oh, this belongs to a minor. And that's what they would be telling to the company. Yeah. This number is logged in and registered to a minor at this point in time. Right. I think that's a great idea as long as it's just the credit bureaus who have it because they have all the right. sensitive stuff anyway. So, yeah. So, well, it's I'll support you guys. That's registry, actually. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a great idea. We are speaking with Linda and Jay Foley, who are the founders of the Identity Theft Resource Center, and they worked there for 12 years, and now they have a wonderful new company called ID Theft Info Source, and you can find out a lot more about what they're doing at idtheftinfosource.org. So, Linda, where are the children's identities most likely to be exposed? Well, I think we talked about that a little earlier. There are so many databases that their Social Security numbers are on. There's so many places asking to see Social Security numbers, and sometimes unfounded. Um, parents need to ask questions when someone asks for their child's Social Security number. Why do you need it? What would happen if I don't give it to you? So that they start that process of limiting the exposure of that number. The other area that they're being exposed right now is through social networking. Mm, yes. Because the kids are giving out that information themselves. Mm. Um, sometimes without realizing they're doing so, or sometimes because they're getting... Um, pulled into a scam, right? and they don't realize it. So we need to educate those kids about 
how to protect their social security numbers and to educate parents. You know, I still see parents carrying social security numbers around for themselves and their children in their wallets. Yeah. And for how many years have we all been saying stop doing that? Yeah. Unfortunately, the the military card, and I, I have a friend who has one of those military cards. She's the wife of, of a captain, and uh, on her, her card to get in the commissary, it has her husband's name, her name, her kids' names, and all of their socials right on that card. And that's going to be changing, yes. actually. The military has announced that that program, Hopefully that they have a program year. that's going to be phasing that out, so that they'll be getting um, unique identifying numbers instead of Social Security numbers on those cards. Right. They're going to have to do that, and, and they are going to do that with the military and also with um, Medicare and Medicaid, because those, all, you know, all these people are worried that they have to have their Medicaid card or their Medicare card. And with for those, I just tell them, you know, make a copy Black out, blacking out the social security number except for the last four numbers and then put it back in your wallet with the, not the original, but the, you know, but the copy with the blackened out social Correct. security number. But you can't do that with the military card. They just no, won't let you on the but, base. You know, I hate to see breaches happen, but I think because of all the large breaches that have happened, yeah. that finally we have seen changes occur for both military and with the Social Security Administration to protect people that have to carry cards with them. Right. Jay, so have there been any solutions proposed to protect children's information? Any other kinds of solutions that you heard at the Federal Trade Commission? As a matter of fact, there is one new program that's just recently started up. Bo Holland over at Debex has gotten a program started that he calls All Clear ID. Parents can register their children with All Clear ID they're going to use All Clear ID. It's going to go in and it's going to be checking for things on a monthly basis. As a credit report started, is there any hits with this information going around? The nice thing about it is Bo, once again, is being philanthropic. He's doing this for free. There is no cost. Sign your kids up. It's for free. Okay, so that's Debix, D-E-B-I-X dot com, right? Correct. Yeah. I would have them Google All Clear ID, and oh. they'll find it. Okay, great. So, you know, also I know that the California Office of Privacy Protection has done some research recently on the problems, the terrible problems with foster children and identity theft. Jay, I know you you know a little bit about that. Why don't you talk about that with us? Unfortunately, there have been different numbers bandied about over the past few years. About four years ago, Senator Deborah Bowen was presented with information by people in the foster care program or child protection services program that identified approximately 50% of the kids in the foster care system were victims of identity theft. Oh, my goodness. That's huge. I mean, compared to how many children in, you know, in, in the regular population, it's so much less, right? I think you said, what, 9%? Nine percent was the estimates from the Federal Trade Commission. But but, but fifty percent of foster that and twelve. Yeah, and fifty percent for foster children. Oh my gosh, why is that? Well, if you stop and think about it, it actually makes somewhat sense. Foster children are in a in a situation; they're in the care because whoever their actual parent is has not been properly caring for this child. Something needs to take place to make this child safe. That kind of parent 
they probably are also the ones that are stealing the child's identity. Right. They probably have lousy credit themselves, or maybe they've been in trouble with the police, so they change their social and try and go incognito and change their name as well. That's entirely probable. I've recently worked a case where the woman was basically, she was trying to hide from a number of lawsuits that were out looking for her. So what she'd been doing is she'd been living under the social security number of one of the children that she had as a foster child. The only way they found out about it is the foster child hit 18, went out to discover that, oh, you've already got three evictions on your credit. Mm. You've got a half dozen bad accounts. Mm. Unfortunately, the guardians have access to the social security numbers and well, we'd like to think all of them are doing it for philanthropic reasons and, you know, for, you know, the right reasons. Some of them are doing it simply for the income. Oh, yeah. And then these kids already are so disadvantaged to begin with. And often when they reach 18, they're thrown out of that house because the foster parents aren't getting money anymore. So they're out on their own. They can't even get a job if their credit is ruined. And, you know, in our state of California, employers can look at a credit report, and when they see that credit report, they think, oh, my gosh, the kid's 18, and he already has a destroyed credit. I am not going to have him come and work for me. And that's one of the solutions that has been discussed here in California, Jay. The Child Protective Services, uh, actually the legislature here in California, passed a law several years ago in which children, when they reach 16 years of age in the foster care program, the child advocate is supposed to be pulling and seeing if there is a credit report in their name. That gives them roughly two years to get that cleaned up before the child grows out of the program and has to be out on their own. So It would be name and social security number. So it, what are you saying that the foster parent has to do the cleanup of that? or No, 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 no. This would be done by Child Protective Services oh, child and protect- representatives within the state. Okay, so that the state will help the kid to get that whole credit report cleared. And exactly. they'll have a good start right from the get-go that way. Oh, well, that's good. Now, hmm, so I wonder how, but if it takes two years to do that and they can't get a job in those two years. <laughs> that's They're a- only 16 to 18 years old, and if there's an immediate need, then the guardian um, ad litem can step in and uh, get it done a little more quickly. Very good, very good. Now, how about um, the emotional issues that that any child, even if they're not a foster child, which I could imagine a foster child would have far more emotional issues with all of this. But um, tell me about the what are the emotional issues that a lot of the kids face? And well, fa- and family, generally, I, yeah, it's you know, they start with a feeling like the like adults do who become victims of identity theft of vulnerability. You know, how could this have happened to me? There's a feeling of loss of power. There's anger um, that we all feel, and there's a lack of trust of, you know, how do I know who did this, and can I trust anyone anymore? Um, And then when we're dealing with family issues, if they're going to have to file a police report, there's that, what a bad child must I be for filing a police report against my mother or my father? Right. With the right type of counseling, they start to see that that is what they need to do. And uh, we've been studying this for since 2003. 
And um, I'm happy to see that in our studies that more and more kids, adults, child adults, are getting support from family members who are not that particular parent in supporting them in going to the police, in following through with this, and being there for them as a support team. So attitudes have changed. And, you know, I think it's really important that we talk about, and Linda and you, you and I and Jay have talked about this before, that if, and we're sitting here on the campus, so if there are people who have been victims of identity theft because their parents took their identity, you know, you don't necessarily have to have them go to jail. They may be willing to step when you confront them and say, I don't want to go to the police, but I have to get my life in order. You may be able to get them to stand up and say it was me. And if they don't, then what kind of parent are they? I mean, going to the police doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to go to jail. And they might be willing to step up to the plate and have an agreement to go to the creditors and take responsibility themselves. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, as a mediator and an attorney, you know that the agreement is not going to be between the child and the parent. It has to be the credit issuer agreeing to do this, and the agreement would be between the parent and the credit issuer in starting a new account that would be one that they'd be paying off and closing the one for the child. Nothing is binding in that agreement between child and parent. Well, you know what, you guys? We are out of time. You are wonderful, Jay and Linda Foley, and you are now, you have your brand new website, idtheftinfosource.org. We will have you back again. Thank you so much. You're both wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.